and then Peter will come and preach. The reading this morning is from James chapter 4, verse 1 to the end. It's found on page 1215 in the Pew Bibles. Submit yourselves to God. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and and destroy. But you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is the word of the Lord. Peter. Lord, as we continue our journey through James with its challenging uh, words, 
We pray that the words Peter brings to us will indeed challenge us, but that, Lord, they will also bring us closer to you. And we will hear your voice speak into our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning from me. Well, we're well into our series now, aren't we? Looking at uh, the letter, letter of James. It's a short letter, very powerful letter, and uh, it pulls no punches. And uh, I hope you're enjoying it and being challenged by it. Jenny, great to see you. Yes. Great to see you. Lovely to see you this morning. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, and uh, we've been, uh, if you've been here from the, the start of the series, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, uh, the, the titles of the talks have great uh, short punchy titles as well. So chapter one was Face It that I preached on in chapter one. And then uh, Robin Oak preached on chapter two under the heading Live It. And then uh, Ursula preached last week on the topic of Tame It, which was think- I was thinking about uh, the taming of our tongue. And uh, I love the, the illustration about how many tongues you looked at, Ursula. I think that was... <laughs> in your career as a dentist. And, uh, and today we're thinking about lose it. I'll explain what that, that means in a moment. And then finally, a week on Sunday, we'll be thinking about finish it when we look at chapter five. Uh, but all being well with the, the, the wonders of technology, we're going to watch a short video clip. Uh, and uh, this is from Ice Age, the Ice Age movies. And uh, let's, let's see how this goes. to be unmuted. Here we go. Scratz is his name. And he, he's, a, he's a squirrel. And he, he basically is trying to get this acorn the whole time and he can't get it. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the kind of the, the joke because he never quite gets his, gets his acorn. But it illustrates um, in, a, in a strange sort of way something from chapter 4 uh, which is right at the start. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, a battle within you? You desire but do not have so you kill You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. And so in in, in some strange but true way, we're a bit like scraps in our lives. Uh, Because James is putting his finger here on what we're like inside, in here. Because, you know, we quarrel, we fight, uh, we want to get our own way, we covet what other people have got. Uh, when we don't get what we want, we, we, we do what Scrat does, you know, we, we sort of get fed up, we hatch our plans to get our own way. Now, we don't like to think we're like that, because I would hazard, hazard a guess that most of us sitting here today are Christians. And you might say to me, Peter, I'm not like that. I don't live like that, that's not what I'm like. Okay, I'm a good person, that's not how I go about my life. That's not how I am. But if that's the case, you're missing the point. Because James is writing to the church. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And uh, and so what James says holds true, not only to his audience at the time, in the first century, it holds true down the ages because we're looking at Scripture. And so he's not going to let us off the hook so easily. 
Let me, open, let me read those opening verses again from James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. My friends, whether you're a Christian or not, there's a battle going on in your heart. There's a battle going on in my heart. In our soul. There's, there's, just as there's a battle and a conflict going on, battles and conflicts going on in the world all around us, all the time out there in the world, Jesus is saying there's a battle going on in here as well. Alec Motier, he's uh, one of the best New Testament scholars of the last century, he said this about these verses. James chose a vocabulary of war to express controversies and quarrels animosity and bad feeling among Christians, not because there is no other way of saying it, but because there is no other way of expressing the horror of it. Do you see? James is saying we need to be confronted with the horror of sin. But the thing is, you see, we've become desensitized to it. We, you know, we go around, we, we watch movies, we watch films, we go around in the world, we kind of interact with people, and, and sin is all around us because conflicts are all around us, disagreements are all around us, our communities are broken, divorces are happening, arguments are going on all over the place, and so we become desensitized to sin, and so sin doesn't really mean quite so much to us. And basically, I'm hoping at the moment you're feeling quite uncomfortable because you're meant to. Because this is what James is saying. He wants you to be uncomfortable about sin. He wants you to feel that sin is bad. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. But he's not finished yet. So he's already punched us a little bit quite, you know, quite hard with sin and what it's like and what it does in us and what it does in the world, in the communities around us. And yet then he says in verse 4, Black or white, he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Wow. That's hard stuff, isn't it? That's difficult stuff. That's difficult language. James is saying, he's saying, if we entertain sin, however that is, then we are an enemy of God. Therefore, he says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whoa. But again, you might say to me, Peter, hang on, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I've given my life to Jesus. And so therefore, I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. I'm covered by his cross. I'm covered by his forgiveness. You know, this doesn't apply to me because I'm forgiven. And that's true. That's true. The cross of Christ is the place, is the place where we come to God for forgiveness. It's the place of reconciliation for us, for the whole world. And yet, we know the horror of sin because we know what the price of sin was. We know that it took Jesus to the cross. It took Jesus to die the most excruciating death that man could conceive. So we know that, we know that in our mind, and yet we, dis- we begin to disconnect that from our sin, our day-to-day sin. We don't quite put the two together. And so those, those times when we're greedy, or those times when we're a bit envious, or those times when perhaps we might join in with the gossip, or those times when we might pray a selfish prayer, or those times when we join in with the, you know, the, the stuff that's going on around us, that's, you know, all the sin stuff that's going on around and about us all the time, 
James says, essentially, it, that in those moments we are out of God's kingdom. We're away from God's kingdom. Enemies of God's kingdom. Now, I, he's not saying this to condemn us. He really isn't. He's not wanting to con- condemn us. What he's saying is, is don't treat sin lightly. Don't take sin lightly. So what's the remedy? James has been giving us and really kind of laying into us, as it were, that the, you know, what this, this difficult stuff, this sin is. What's the remedy of that? Well, do you remember at the beginning I said this title, the title of my talk today is Lose It. Lose It. Now, if you hear the, if you hear someone, you know, saying, I'm, I, I, lose it, you might think, oh, Peter's about to lose his temper. All right, Peter's about to lose his composure. He's, he's going to lose his cool. It might be that, you know, losing it is not a, a, a great thing, is it? Or it might be that you've lost something. Who, who, who's good at losing things? I, <laughs> I lose things every day. I lose my glasses. I lose my, uh, I don't know, keys. Uh, all sorts of things. I, I'm, I'm, I'm great at losing things. Or it might be losing a game. You know, losing a monopoly or losing Cluedo or losing Scrabble, whatever it is, it might be that. Whatever it is, those are all have negative connotations, don't they? But that's not what I mean. Do you remember something that Jesus said? Jesus said this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mark chapter 8 verse 35. So this is the upside-down kingdom of God. This is the, you know, the back-to-front, the upside-down kingdom of God. The world says to win, you've got to push people out of the way. You've got to get to the front of the queue. You've got to be the best. You've got to be the, the bravest. You've got to be, the, you know, all of these. You've got to be the one to win. You've got to push people out of the way. Jesus says the opposite. To win, he says, you've got to lose. To win your life, you've got to lose your life. That's, that's the way of Jesus. We find life by losing it. Now, that's a very, very mysterious thing to say, but it's absolutely true. And so, uh, James then talks about the remedy for all that difficult stuff that we've been thinking about. And he, and he helps us to, to begin to find our way through it. And, and it, the turning point, really, in this chapter is verse 6. Uh, because verse 6 says, but he, God, gives us more grace. So we've been struggling, we've been wading through all this really, really difficult sin stuff. And then the turning point is, but God gives us more grace. And so what James is saying is that, is that God wants us to, to lose our life, to give up control of our life to him. And when we give up control of our life to him, he will help us to navigate our way through this world, through this life, in a way that honors him and gives him glory. He goes on to say, verse 6, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and to the oppressed. Uh, this uh, series is, is partly based on this book. It's called Only the Brave. And the chapter that is relevant to, to this particular topic was written by somebody called Cassie Madavan. And I just want to read what she says about the grace of God. She says, Thank God that there is always more grace. Where shame says that we are unacceptable, grace says we are not only acceptable but also loved. 
God's grace is immeasurable and inexhaustible and we certainly do not deserve it. But he extends it to us anyway because he loves us unconditionally. God never holds back on his children. He lavishes his love on us in a way we can never earn for ourselves. That does not, of course, mean that we should take his grace for granted, treating it as a a cheap sticking plaster to cover our self-inflicted scrapes as we throw ourselves into the fire again, knowing he will be there to sort us out. The extent of God's grace should lead us towards the grace giver, not away from him. I'll read that last sentence again. The The extent of God's grace should lead us towards the grace giver, not away from him. That's the wonderful grace of God that's, in our, that's at work in our lives each and every day. But I want to, I want to round off what I'm saying uh, by looking at the antidote, the, the, the way that we can, in our lives, practically work with God in living for him. There's, there's an antidote. There's a way you can you know, work, uh, work against pride, work against envy, work against arrogance, all those other horrible things that we've been, been thinking about and being uncomfortable about. Because James, you see, is saying, if we're going to truly lose it, in other words, give our life to God, live the way of Jesus, he says there are five ways to live a life of humility. And so we're going to get practical. And if you want to make a note of these five things, please do. Because uh, they might sort of jog your memory as you go through the week. So five ways to live a life of humility. James just gives these very quickly. Verse 7. He says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves then to God. What he's saying is, that's about saying, God, I'm going to live, I want to live your way. I'm going to follow your way. Now, you might then say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? How, how do I know what God's way is? What does that look like? Well, go back to chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 25. Because he says there, But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you uh, were here when I preached on chapter 1, you remember I was talking about the mirror. I was facing facing ourselves in the mirror. And there are two ways you can look into a mirror. You can have a glance and, and then go off. Or you can look into the mirror intently. And this is James saying we've got to intently look into God's law. That means essentially getting to know God's word. Dwelling in the scriptures. Letting God's word speak to us. Spending time in it. Not running away from it too quickly, but letting God's word shape us, transform us, change us as we spend time submitting to what God is saying through his word to us. So he says, submit yourselves then to God. And then he goes on very quickly. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Every single person faces temptations. Every single human being faces temptations in their life. And James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when a temptation comes, you can say no. No, I'm going Jesus' way. I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow God. But the important thing to remember here is that the devil is not particularly scared of you, but he is scared of Jesus. 
So when you resist the devil, you say in the name of Jesus, no. And when the devil hears the name of Jesus, he goes like that because he cannot be in the presence of the risen Jesus. Because the power of the name of Jesus is so strong. He goes. So when you resist temptation, a good practice is to say, no, in the name of Jesus, I'm not going to go that way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Thirdly, James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's a wonderful promise of God. But I I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but the, the, the ball lies in your court here. It's, it's as you make the first move that God will respond. It's as you take the initiative, God will draw near to you. And so this is this active participation in the, in the love relationship with God that God wants with us. It says we make the room with God, then his rule and reign breaks through more and more into our lives. Now how you do that is up to you because this is a very personal thing. How you make room for God in your life is up to you. Uh, some people find putting on a worship CD and, and, and just, you know, having s- songs that are going on that, that, that speak of Jesus helps people, helps you, might help you to, to, to really come into God's presence. And as you do that, he will draw near to you. Other people find, you know, switching off all the technology, switching off the mobile, switching off the phone, not answering the door, you know, just going into a room on your own and just making time purposefully to be on your own with God. That is a good practice because that means that you have taken the initiative and God responds to that. And he will speak to you. He will reveal himself more and more to you. He will answer prayer. He will speak to you through his words. He will bring you more freedom in your life. Then James goes on to say, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now remember, James is a pastor. He's a church leader. He's very, very practical. He's very down to earth. He knows people are struggling with sin. And he's saying something he said before. Basically, he's saying, don't just believe the word. Don't just say, you know, I believe in the word. He says, do it. Live it. Be doers of the word, not just those who say that they believe it. And, and as we, as we live out the word, what we're doing is we're, our, our external life is beginning to match up with our internal life. What we're doing on the outside is beginning to match up with what we're believing on the inside. And then what happens is we're then proclaiming to the world, to those around us, I'm marching to the tune of a different king. I'm going the way of a king who is, of a gl- more glorious kingdom than this world's. And people will notice that. Lastly, he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I don't think he's saying we need more miserable Christians. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is he's reminding us that sin is serious. He's reminding us that sin is serious. Sin led to the death of of the beautiful Son of God on the cross. It led to the sacrifice, the, the, the most profound sacrifice that God could give for us, himself. So that he will lift up those who live humbly. And one day, and only God the Father knows this, 
one day God will lift up the humble and he will put down the proud. It's a, it's a theme that goes throughout the scriptures. One day he will lift up the humble and he will put down the proud. So what do you need to do in response, I wonder? James, is a, he writes passionately. I'm not, I haven't got time to go through the whole chapter, but he, he writes very passionately. He, he's saying to us, if you want to live this adventure of faith, then you've got to let things go that are deliberately holding you back. You've got to let things go. You've got to let go of that, that baggage. You know, when you go through an airport, that unwelcome, heavy baggage that you've got, he says, no, let that go. Don't let it weigh you down anymore. And so I just wanted to um, give some time, and I know Esther's going to give us more time as well in the service, but I want just to have a little bit of space as I draw to a close for you to have a bit of time to think and to pray with God, pray to God and speak to God about maybe just one of these that, that God wants you to put into place in your life a little bit more than you are already. It's not to lay guilt on you, but just to, to help you to have that space with him for him to move in your life. He says, James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's just have a moment of quiet now. you that you're always there ready to welcome us when we make that move when we draw near to you draw near to us father we pray you work in our hearts this week this month this year in our lives that we might make that space for you to work more and more in our lives so that we can proclaim you to the world that our lives may proclaim that you are our king In the name of the King we pray. Amen.